This is Women Authors of Achievement podcast, episode 19, with guest Erin Gruber. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Suvorova, and welcome to today's episode. Erin joined Google in 2011 as a project manager for the governmental affairs and public policy team. And seven years later, Erin found her dream job with the Google for Startups team. She now leads programs for startups in the Dach region with a strong focus on supporting underrepresented founders. In this episode, we spoke about making bold decisions in life without looking back and the power of persuasion. Enjoy today's episode with Erin Gruber and make sure to follow us on Instagram at waa.berlin. Erin, very warm welcome to you and actually your daughter to the studio today. <laughs> Thank you for having us. We're really excited to be here. You sent such a thoughtful life story before our recording, and it really gave me goosebumps big times. <laughs> and I also felt like I suddenly knew you for ages. And I think this is more what the world needs today is those real unfiltered stories and to show that personality, but also the real pathway to success that we sometimes tend to forget. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> well, my, my pleasure. I, I wonder if I was too honest. Uh, it, well, is there such a thing? Maybe not. But it was, it was fun actually to write it down. It made me think about some of the things and, and maybe think about how I got to where I am. Which we can explore right now. Cool. In that initial phase of your life after university, how did you make decisions? Because you did a lot of traveling, you did a lot of traveling abroad. What pushed you to experience rather than settling down and finding a local job in New Zealand? At the time, I think it was my friends. One of my best friends at uni was from a beautiful part of New Zealand called Hawke's Bay. It's like the wine region of New Zealand. And she was going back home for the summer to live with her, her family. And she said, hey, you know, my, my, my mother works in this beautiful winery. There's a job going. Do you want it? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that sounds fun, you know. And so I went and worked in this beautiful place in, in, in a winery, just planning to do it for the summer after university finished. And I stayed there. I think a couple of years and ended up working in more than one winery and, and kind of really got into that whole scene, which uh, again, I, I really enjoyed, but it wasn't the plan. And there, I didn't really have any expectations or, or time frame in mind for that. But uh, I wasn't thinking of career at that point. Mm -hmm. I think. And what was your next step? Then I went overseas. I think this is this is really uh, typical of the New Zealand experience. I think New Zealand's really it's beautiful, it's wonderful, um, but it's very small and it's very far away. So the kind of the, the very common path is you go to university, maybe work for a couple of years afterwards, save up some money, and then leave the country. Most people come to or go to the UK um, because New Zealand's part of the Commonwealth. We get working visas for the UK really easily, and everybody goes there. You earn some pounds, travel around Europe. And then most people go back home. Okay, so they do tend to return, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, most, most people return. <laughs> I mean, for me, this is a long time ago, 15, 16 years, and I'm still here. So I'm, I'm the anomaly for sure. But I, had, I got a slightly longer visa because my grandparents were from England. So I was allowed to stay for five years. Um, so, yeah, getting to the UK, I didn't have such a short time window in mind. 
You mentioned like you were like a really a self-starter and without the proper work experience. I mean, I don't want to say proper, but you had a different <laughs> yeah. kind of work experience. Mm. You still got jobs. You still really got around. And this is very admirable. And I'm trying to understand, was it your character and your like natural confidence that really helped you convince, you know, other companies um, and really pitch yourself as a really great candidate? Or was it something that, you know, a fear of coming back to a settled home, that's something you didn't want to have yet? I, I certainly not consciously. I guess it was kind of this boldness, right? If you're in your early 20s, I think my, the constant thought was, well, how, what can go wrong? <laughs> you know, how, how wrong can well, things go? Well, you know, go? not everybody <laughs> thinks like that. So it, there is something in your, your character. I, I guess. And see, these are the things I hadn't thought of. I think it was kind of tied into that whole experience, right? You, you grow up in New Zealand, everybody leaves the country at that sort of, you know, 22, 23. You, that's pretty young to suddenly go from one side of the world to the other and find yourself in London, which has more people than the whole of New Zealand, <laughs> probably like three times. And so that's a huge learning curve. And I think just making that move in itself is actually more bold than people kind of realize. And then once you're there, there's just so many opportunities. And really, it somehow, I don't remember ever being stressed that I couldn't get a job. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's always a job to do. So I kind of just made my, I would look for the job, see what sounded interesting, tailor, creatively tailor my CV to, <laughs> to make it look like I could do that and then, and see what happened. And how did you land your job at Google? Because you also <laughs> mentioned this was there was something magical about it. And that was not right now. That was the before the financial crisis. And still then you said it was a really magical experience for you. Yeah. So this was, um, I'd been in London for three years, I think, by that point. And I'd worked in I'd worked at UBS, like the in big investment bank. I'd worked at a at um, Hogg and Lovells, which is a really big law firm. And I'd done a couple of I'd been in big companies before, and then I got offered this job at Google. And at the time, it was in the learning and development team, and I was looking after sales training for sales folks in EMEA. Um, you know, organizing the courses. I wasn't running any courses, and. I, I was even bold enough to really negotiate on the pay that they wanted to give me because I was coming from an investment bank and they, Google was offering me less money. I was like, no, I'm not going to take it. I want the job, but I'm not going to take less money. And so, I, you know, that's kind of the level of confidence at the time, which I look back and think, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> there was no basis for that at all. And yeah, and then you joined Google and Google, this is Google in 2008. This is a long time ago. Um, and it was a very different company. I think there was, I mean, there was less than 50,000 employees. There might've been less than 20,000 worldwide. Um, I think actually I'm employee number 15,192. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's how many people were there. <laughs> Even after being in these really cool jobs at, at you know, banks and, and big companies, coming into Google was something different. And all those kind of cliches that you hear about Google, a lot of them better for better or worse, are true, right? The people that work there are incredible. And so everyone you speak to is super smart. And every conversation, most conversations you have are interesting. And the people have, I don't know, these as crazy a career paths as I did, right? They're just kind of finding their way through. They figure out something they're good at. And then everybody comes together and bees awesome together. And there was this really cool energy. It still felt small and a little bit, there was a lot of hustle still happening in there. And yeah, it just, it felt like a great place to be at the time. 
Could you tell me how did you feel when you lost your job during the financial crisis? How did that come around? That was not great. Um, so yeah, 2008, big financial crisis uh, shows, you know, it, it's a long time ago, but I'm sure most people, if they don't remember it <laughs> from their working careers, have heard about it. Um, and I was a temp at Google at the time. Google has a lot of t temporary workforce um, and they fired everybody who did not have a person fired. You know, when the contracts ran out in 2008, they didn't renew them. Um, and that was worldwide. So, you know, thousands of people kind of were leaving leaving the company at the time. And yeah, that was not great. They'd been, we'd been thinking about ways, you know, would it be possible to convert me into a full-time employee? But at the time it just wasn't possible in the timeline that we were working with. And I had been, I had met a German uh, via, via my work at Google. When I lost my job, I was, I stayed on in London for quite, for another two or three months, I think. But this is the worst possible time. That was the worst possible time to be looking for a job. And that was the first time where my confidence or no matter how much creative writing I put into my CV, there were no jobs. You know, everybody was firing everybody. It was a, it was a wild place to be, especially in London of all cities. You know, the whole financial services industry fell through the floor um, which had a follow-on impact for so many businesses. And so, yeah, I really, that was the first time that I found myself without a next job ready to just fall into. How did you really kept your head cool, you know, and just, and also went for that, eventually for that new opportunity in Germany? Because I think during those times, you know, when you have those pitfalls, this is when you have this panic yeah. button that goes on. How did you keep yourself still so cool and with that still made these bold decisions to move to Germany? I don't know. I'm sure there were days where I was not super cool um, and super calm about it. I mean, I was putting a lot of time. I wanted to feel like I was doing everything possible to make all of these options, find out what my options were. So I was still applying for jobs. I was still speaking to all of the people I knew. Um, I, you know, I, was, I moved in with friends um, after I think the second month, so I could stop paying such huge rent. And you know, there's, I can't, there's always a solution, right? This is what I'm, I'm telling my kids all the time, right? There's, there's always a solution, and it's maybe not the solution you might have thought of from the safety of an employed job, um, but there's always something. So when I, when I got to Hamburg, I. Yeah, that was wild. I decided I should learn some German because I couldn't speak any at all. Um, and at, I don't know, at a bar or something, I, I ended up meeting a, a Kiwi person, another person from New Zealand. And and he said, oh, you know, what are you doing for work? I was like, well, I actually, I'm a lady of leisure right now, you know, using the last of my savings on spending that on German school and, you know, eating pretzels and, and riding my bike around the town. And he's like, well, actually, I think I might have a job for you. And I was like, what? Um, and so it turns out he was the general manager of New Zealand's largest company, which is no one's ever heard of because it's from New Zealand. So even though it's big for us, it's small for the world. But they make milk products, not sexy at all, but it's in every single thing. So um, New Zealand developed this incredible technology for drying milk basically so they can sell the parts of milk into thousands of different products so sports drinks chocolate bars yogurts all this stuff and their headquarters was in hamburg and this guy his name was greg and um, he was the general manager and he found himself in this 
country where he didn't speak any German and uh, it was surrounded by Germans and then he was speaking to a Kiwi at a, at a restaurant or a bar, whatever it was, and he said, come and work for me. I just need another New Zealand person in the office. It's going to make my life easier. And I was like, well, what, what am I going to do? And he's like, um, I need an assistant. You can be my assistant. I was like, I've never been an assistant before. And he's like, honestly, we'll figure it out. How hard can it be? And I was like, um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a proper job, right? Being an, a, an assistant to a, to a big boss of a big company is, is a very serious job. But he was right. We figured it out. You know, he, he didn't really know what he was expecting from someone in that job. I had no idea how to do the job. So we kind of figured out, okay, what do you need? How can I help you with that? And, and we took it from there. And it turned out to be great. I was there for two years. I love it. It's just like from that conversation, from just like really matching, you know, the good minds meet. And then you figure it out. You know, that approach is just so refreshing. It's being in the right place at the right time, and that's such a cliche, but meeting the right person and having this connection with somebody where they can see something in you. It's like, you know what? I think we get along, and the rest of the stuff you can learn because that connection to people is, honestly, I feel like it's the most important thing, no matter what your role is, how you relate with others, how you uh, communicate with others. The technical things, the the science of a job or the, the tools you need, anyone can learn that. Almost anyone can learn those things. Um, and I think that's maybe how I, how I got lucky. I like that. <laughs> and then it's interesting because coming back to you joining Google again, oh, yeah. and then again kind of unequipped for the role. Completely. And it's just interesting. <laughs> it's like you, you like to make it difficult for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like that when I explained this. When I was writing this down, I was like, God, yeah, this is... Uh, Yeah, I made it difficult. So again, was uh, so my my old office fling had kind of become then my my live-in partner, slightly more serious relationship, and he was still at Google, and we'd moved by that point from Hamburg to Berlin, and we were at a a Google running event. Uh, if you can imagine, they do this, you know, that um, Staffel thing in in the Tiergarten. and I was standing on the sidelines, um, you know, with a few other people from the office, and. Uh, Yeah, there was a, a woman there and we were chatting and she said, so, you know, what are you doing right now? You know, you're, you're, in, yeah, he goes, so you're in Berlin, you know, your husband or your, your boyfriend, he's, he's working. What are you doing? You know, I'm curious more than anything. It's like, well, you know, uh, we just got here, got moved to Berlin like six weeks ago. We were renovating our apartment, ready to move in. I'm kind of taking care of that. And she's like, oh, well, you know, it's funny. I've got this job. Um, you know, maybe you'd be interested. I was like, maybe, you know, what is it? And it's, we kind of, she didn't really know how to describe it. She had uh, sort of a things in her head that she was thinking that she would need somebody for, but hadn't really put it down on paper. And so I think we kind of made it into what would suit me at the time, like a real project manager kind of role. But in a team, the public policy team, in a team I was completely ill-equipped uh, to work at. I had no experience in that field whatsoever. But um, at the time, we kind of figured we could... We could figure it out. You also wrote, I somehow managed to convince them and myself. And I think this is really like your hidden talent. <laughs> you know how to persuade, you know how to convince everyone around you. And, and you also continue to believe in yourself. What is that you think that's so convincing about you? I really don't know. I like to think, I've thought about it in this way. My hidden talent is convincing people of, of myself. I think 
I'm genuinely like a hardcore optimist. I genuinely always think that things will work out. I am by nature a very positive person. Don't worry, you know, things do get me down. There's days where I'm not a positive person, of course, but generally I'm thinking that things will be fine. <laughs> so, you know, when someone says, here's a really great job at Google, you know, do you think you could do that? You don't say no, right? You say, well, I didn't say no. I, I said yes and decided I would figure it out. Things got relatively intense relatively quickly and there was a phase. So they knew that my German wasn't very good at that point. And this was the bit that nearly killed me actually. And after I think two or three weeks in the job, you know, one of the one of the bosses, my boss at the time, she's like, oh, it's getting really annoying speaking English to you all the time. Let's just switch to German. Oh, wow. Like, and I was like, <laughs> but sad. I don't really speak German. <laughs> you know, I could order things at a restaurant or, you know, get on a bus or something, but I couldn't sort of sit down with the with this agency and talk political strategy. You know what I mean? And she's like, no, I'm done. I'm done speaking English. Let's just switch to German. I was like, holy shit. And honestly, the next several weeks, so like, but like not even six weeks, like maybe eight, 10, 12 weeks, my boyfriend had to coach me out of the house in the morning. He'd be like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. You can do this, you know, just keep going back. And there were days, I remember one particularly challenging meeting, right? And my German, to be fair, it was the best thing that could have happened to me. When I look back at it, it was absolutely what I needed. I speak decent German now, uh, right? And it never would have happened, I think, if this hadn't happened. But yeah, that was really hard. And I was sitting in this meeting and I was at the point, you know, after let's say four or six weeks where my German was so much better. If one person spoke at a time, <laughs> I could probably follow a conversation. But my job, you know, I was a project manager, so I'm supposed to be on top of a lot of things all at once and be coordinating, you know, coordinating all these moving pieces, which is really fun and exciting if you can understand what's going on. And then, but, you know, the nature of conversation, right, is not that everybody waits their turn for one person to speak slowly and calmly at a time. So we'd be sitting at this table with eight or 10 people and everybody's just talking, talking, talking. I'm like, oh my God, I've completely lost the thread. I don't know. And if anybody asks me, so Aaron, where are we at with this thing? Be like, I would have to answer, I have no clue because I don't know what's happening right now. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, if I get up and go to the bathroom right now, how long do you think I have before they'd notice if I just never came back, right? <laughs> like, these were thoughts in my mind. I'm like, I'm gonna get up and say I'm going to the bathroom and I'm just gonna walk out the door and just disappear, right? Just go home and never come back. And I, these kind of thoughts occupied my mind for, I don't know, a little while in this meeting until I thought, okay, well, this isn't helping you get on top of this, this project. So let's talk, think about this later. And then all of a sudden, I can't, not, not in that day, that day was, that day was a crap day. <laughs> Nobody noticed at the time. I, they did, I guess they just thought I was pretty quiet. But so, at some point, things did just take a turn for the better and my German <laughs> improved and my written German was still terrible. But yeah, it was the coldest water I've ever been thrown in to swim. But uh, at the time, I was not grateful or happy about it at all. But looking back now, it, it was amazing. But it's just amazing to hear, like, as a project manager, you're sitting and this is a foreign <laughs> language and you need to, like, manage this project. You know, that's yeah. your main job. And you're just like, I don't get what yeah. you're saying, guys. Yeah. You know, and it's just incredible that you still kind of, you know, 
You were like, just let me, let me just give it a try. It's ridiculous. And That's I like that they all kind of trusted you, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. as you said, maybe this is, I'm, I'm saying there's a, there's a hidden talent, how you convince people. And maybe that's your optimism. And then you kind of like melt the hearts and people are just like, I think she got this. Yeah. But like, well, she's, she's nice, you know, whether, whether she understands what's going on or not, I'm not really sure, but she's fun. So let's keep her around and see what happens. And after these meetings, right, everybody would have to send There'd be a flurry of emails and docs and things. And then I can kind of take my time and read back through everything and then get back on top of my game. And then things move on and I just read the next bloody meeting. But yeah, at some point it just kind of picked up and then it was fine. What are you doing right now at Google? And I know mm. this is what's something that really gets your heartbeat yeah. for the work you do. Exactly. Tell me about this. So I, I worked in that team, the, the public policy team, for just over five years. And that during that time, I, I had my two children, you know, took a year off uh, each time and then came back. Well, when I was due to come back from my second child, my second child actually had some health problems um, when she was born. And I took a little bit longer to stay home with her. And then I realized the German family maternity leave laws and all these things were amazing. So I still had this job to go back to and I was incredibly grateful for that. But I, I realized it wasn't a job that was making me happy enough anymore I mean, it should be the rule for anyone at any time, right? If your job is not is not the job for you, if it's not making you happy, if you're not loving what you're doing, then depending on the circumstances, maybe you stick it out for a period of time because it's serving another purpose, which that job was for me. But then once once I had my two kids, I was like, I don't want to go back to a job that I'm not excited enough about to justify the stress that it caused me. And by that point, it wasn't about the language. It was The people in that team are so incredibly dedicated and they work so hard and they're super passionate about what they did or what they do. And I was not the right fit for that team. And so I I made it work, right, for a period of time and it served an incredible purpose for me. But yeah, then there was this realization that this is just not where I should be. And so sort of using that time where I was just at home with my children for a little bit longer than I had originally planned, This is almost one of the first points in my life where I started to really ask, so what do I want to be doing, right? If you're, you've got two kids, it's hard. You want to go back to work, it's awesome, but it's hard. You want to go back to something that you're really excited about. And, you know, I, this was 2000, so 2017. Um, I... It wasn't public yet, but I knew from my time in this other team um, that Google was going to be opening a, a Google, it was Google for Entrepreneurs at the time, or but now it's Google for Startups, a Google for Startups space in Berlin. And so I knew that that was coming. And so I started sort of my own lobby campaign internally with the leaders of that team saying, hey, currently on maternity leave, but I'm going to be coming back soon and I want to work for you. And they were like, well, it's a little bit, it's a bit far off. We're not quite ready yet. We're not really there. We don't have all the things lined up. I'm like, it's fine. Just putting myself in the queue. And I wrote to them. I, can't, I, don't say, I won't say I annoyed them, but I kept on their radar, right? Every couple of months, just sort of put my hand back up and said, hey, me again. You know, wow. are things developing? How are things? I'd love to talk to you more about it. And then, yeah, they started to get the team ready. And initially... Yeah, anyway, then I, I, there were two people that had been put into that team to kick things off here in Germany, and I had a meeting with them. And they originally took me in, it was, it's like a rotation. So 
Google does this, right? You can swap around teams for a short period of time just to see if it's a good fit to expand your skills, to do all these things. And so both, you know, my old team and this new team, Google for Startups, agreed to take me in as a as a rotation. And that was made permanent after three or four months, which was the the most exciting the most exciting day ever. And this this team is really a dream. I honestly think it's one of the coolest teams inside of Google, and there are a lot of really cool teams at Google. It's a job that a lot of people want, and we get a lot of people wanting to work in our team all the time. And we're we're a tiny team inside of Google, as you know, in the Google perspective of things, right? In a company of a hundred thousand people, I think we're fifty something people worldwide in our global team. There's two of us here in Berlin who are responsible for the Dach region: Germany, Austria, Switzerland. And it's one of the, it's the most fun I've ever had at work. Mm-hmm. And it's, But what do you do? Tell oh, yeah. Me. Okay, good. Get to the details. And so I lead our programs that we run for startups in the Dach region, which means thinking, getting to know the startups, identifying who we might want to work with as Google, um, and then thinking about how we can help them. So... And when I say how what well, working with the startups, we don't we're not looking to buy the startups. Mm-hmm. We're not looking to invest in the startups. There's no money changing hands. It's looking at who are the people doing cool sort of game changing, world changing stuff out there at a relatively early stage where Google and the incredible people that work at Google can actually offer some kind of help, whatever that might be. And this is not necessarily from a product perspective. So our team again, has this luxury position inside of Google where we're not attached to product team of any kind. We don't have sales targets on our backs. We're, we're a cost center, um, which is why we have to be a bit scrappy and there's a decent amount of hustle in what we do. That's why there's so few of us in the team. But yeah, we have to th- we're thinking about the people that are at Google. There are, you know, it's a lot of people like me who come from these really interesting backgrounds and career paths and have built up lots of experience doing lots of crazy stuff And then they end up at Google doing whatever job they're doing. And so my job is to figure out how we can find all of those really amazing people. What are the skills and talents they have to offer and how can we bring that to startups? So our our mission, right, everyone has a mission, um, is bringing the best of Google to help startups grow. Only internally or also externally? No, externally as well. That's our public mission. Um, But it's true, you know, either way. And yeah, so this doesn't refer to money. Occasionally it refers to products because the products are also good. But mostly for me and my job, it's around finding people and experts to help the people and experts in the startups that are doing cool stuff. And how do you identify those really cool startups? And I mean, what? how yeah. do you find those? Like, yeah, that's, I mean. <laughs> there's so many, then you have to really choose and filter. I know. And... This is what I mean. It's so fun. So I get to meet so many people. And the joy of it being Google is that a lot of people want to work with us. So, you know, uh, it's this is the, the good part about it being a big brand. Most people have heard of us. So if I reach out to somebody and say, hey, I think you're working on something really cool, you know, can we have a chat? Most people say yes, which is nice. We also have a lot of resources that helps me figure out who I want to speak to. This is where I work a lot cross-functionally. Internally, I get to work with a lot of the teams that are working on, you know, all the different parts of the business. And I also just do a lot of research, right? We go to a lot of events. We speak to a lot of people. You know, it's the tip like, oh, have you met this person? Have, who's the, have you met this person? Let, you should speak to that person. So there's a lot of networking involved, which is, I love it. <laughs> this is, I've kind of found this job that 
that taps into all the things I genuinely love to do, right? Talking to people, hearing what they're working on, thinking about what's getting them excited, what's keeping them awake, and then thinking, how can I help? Can you tell me of some of the initiatives that you are working on this year or you're mm. planning to launch? So since I've been in the Google for Startups team here in the Dach region, we have been almost exclusively focused on supporting women entrepreneurs. So women who are founding startups or who have founded startups. And this year, we, I mean, last year was crazy, right? With the pandemic, we have this incredible alumni now of 45 women founders that I've been working with in the past two years. We only get to choose a small number of people every year because I, as I said, we're pretty small, um, but it's around 20-ish people a year. 20 companies. And so I spent my Q1 sort of January to March this year interviewing my whole alumni community sort of all of these 45 startups. I spoke with all of them, almost all of them, just to hear how they're doing. You know, last year was tough on, on a lot of businesses, right? And so the fact that most of these women, their businesses were still alive, they were still growing, they're still working on a bunch of cool stuff. A surprisingly large number of them still had amazing things happen last year. A lot of them raised money, a lot of them grew their teams. Um, or expanded their products, whatever it was. And hearing these stories was was the best possible way for me to start <laughs> this year, right? After last year, I think everybody was pretty low on energy. And then speaking to these founders, where you, they just never give up. This is, it is amazing. And, and I genuinely love this. And so I spoke to all of these women, you know, 45 women, and I used those conversations to drive my plans and strategy for this year. So obviously they're all working on different things um, and have different challenges, but there's always common challenges too. And particularly among the alumni, we identified everybody after the pandemic and the whole shifting of, of work and how this affects teams. Every single person wanted to work on some of their leadership skills. So we have designed, I work with um, Jenny Jung. She's an amazing um, coach here in Berlin very uh, well known in the startup scene, we've designed a leadership program for our alumni founders for this running, kicked off this week actually, and running for the next six months, full of one-to-one -one coachings, team coachings, peer group sessions where all the founders get together and share their, share their ups and downs, um, and workshops occasionally. That's very exciting, but that's only for those 45 founders, mm -hmm. and if someone wants to join Google for startups, how can they yeah. do that? Okay. And have this also like this benefit of uh, yeah. participating in that leadership workshop. Yeah. I don't want to make this sound so promotional, um, but we <laughs> do have a program actually coming up in H2. I think in July, early July, we're going to launch applications for our next round. We call it Growth Academy. So it's an eight-week program that will actually kick off in October, mm -hmm. but we'll open applications early. We're looking for the future of e-commerce. When I think of this, it should be super broad. So this could be for anybody with a D2C brand, maybe it's a marketplace or a platform, maybe it's an enabling technology for something for other retailers or e-commerce people, you know, a chatbot or a WhatsApp tool or some cool technology um, that enables other retailers to do cool stuff. We want to, we want those. We're looking for the best eight to 10, depending. I want the best eight to 10 women-led Anything to do with e-commerce startups. That's my goal for H2. I have had some internal pushback that we might not find 10 women-led startups in this vertical. 
I strongly disagree. Uh, maybe this audience can help me uh, <laughs> prove my prove some of my bosses wrong. So this is a, this is a good one. Applications will be starting in July. Follow me on LinkedIn uh, for yeah. for all the announcements. We have a really great newsletter that goes out once a month. One thing I wanted to ask, you know, it's just so interesting. We spoke about this path, you know, how you were exploring yourself and just going with what life was giving you. And that kind of brought you to your dream state, you know, where yeah. you're really excited where you are. How do you see your growth from here? Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because I've been thinking about this recently, because there's been a couple of other people that I've worked closely with who've moved on to new things. And they moved on to something that things that maybe surprised me. And I thought, oh, well, that's that's not what I would have seen you going to do next. And so then it made me think, well, what would I see them going to do next? And what would I want to do next? And I haven't, I have no intention or no current plans for leaving Google. I really love the work that I'm doing right now. The team that I have and that I work with are the best possible team, right? We have a lot of fun at work, even in this work from home thing. We haven't been in the office for over a year and I still love my team and we talk to each other all the time. But I... I don't know. I've started to, I've started to get this idea. <laughs> I'm outing myself now to the, to to your whole podcast world. I think a move that would make sense for me is something in the VC world, and I don't have all the skills to go into the VC world. So I think I'm following my same path, right? A, a lot of the stuff I do there is there's definitely overlap, right? In in startup selection and startup sort of understanding needs and and thinking you know, having the vision to see which startups are going in the right direction. But yeah, there's definitely a bunch of skills that I don't have for that role. But I, I, I feel like something in the investment path would make sense for me. What would be your number one recommendation to founders, but also people in their career that haven't found that place, and they're still searching? What would be your recommendation to them? When I came to Germany, right, the people are always asking you, well, what's the, what's the red thread, you know, the water fader in your, in your CV? Like, what are you? Who are you? And I was like, well, you know, there's a thread there. It's kind of, there's a curve to it, you know. <laughs> um, but there is some common themes when you look through it. And this is kind of how I started to pitch myself as a project manager because that would then kind of explain these different topics and things that I worked on. But I think... If you're somebody, if you're still looking for this place where you fit, I think in every job I've ever had, even if it wasn't the job that I sort of expected or felt prepared for, there was something about the place I ended up that excited me. So it's either the company that's cool or the boss or the leader of that team is is inspiring or or I don't know, there's some kind of connection. Or maybe the role was really cool even if the company was not ideal. Like there has to be something about it. And so maybe it means you end up working in a company that's not your dream company, doing but doing the role that you can really build yourself in or the other way around, right? End up in a company that you think is really cool and going where you want to go, but you just do any kind of role in there. And then you carve that out and and kind of turn that into something that is for you right i think this is something also people shouldn't underestimate is that there's often more flexibility if you can get into the right place and then prove to them that you're either really passionate about something or that this is going to be really big and important something new and innovative you can most of the time 
you know, if you feel passionate and, and confident and sure enough about that, you can probably convince somebody to let you try it out at least for a little while. And then maybe you carve your own job out there. I don't know. There just has to be something. You don't have to tick all the boxes in every job. Just tick one box. That's a really good recommendation. And the last question, which I love asking my guests, oh. uh, drum roll, please, <laughs> <laughs> is always about women authors of achievement. And mm. Aaron, do you have a woman that you would like to give a spotlight today? And who is your personal woman author of achievement? You know, I didn't have any role models for a really long time. And I never really noticed that they were missing, actually. And then the more work that I've done in recent times with women, the more important I realize that this is. Um, and so the first one who's really close to home, and I'm sure I'm not the first person, well, there's two actually that I'll mention, Verena Pauster, right? I'm, I'm sure other people have mentioned her. She's such a powerful, like everything she does is amazing. And she also has this constant positive energy. Like she's she's never sitting down. She's looking for solutions and she's excited to talk to tons of people and she has this incredible network and she uses it in the best possible way and yeah she's a mother and she's she's always ready to help I've spoken to her so many times I've called her up and said hey I'd love to ask you about this and she's always open for that totally random questions and things and I I think she's a really inspiring person you know I've known her for most of my time in Berlin actually and She's she's definitely on my list. I think uh, Judith Dada, who you've also had here in this booth. I also love her. We haven't known each other for so long, but maybe the last three years. But I think she's deeply impressive, and I love hearing her speak. I love the way she talks about almost anything. She's incredibly smart, but incredibly fun and really approachable. And I also love how she wants to share her energy and, and talents. On a slightly further afield, I'm also in love with Arlen Hamilton, right? She's like a superstar kind of role model. Um, but I love her book and I've heard her speak. We had her at one of our Google for Startups events um, at TOA a couple of years ago. And she's she's the kind of person like me who's had this completely random career path, who's followed a bunch of different things. And now she's ended up doing something she's super passionate about and is trying to share that with as many people as possible. And I, I, I think that's cool. Well, three amazing women. Three amazing women. Erin, <laughs> thank you so much for this conversation and for just letting us and me explore your life path and understanding you better. And there's so many, I think, important things you said and important things to take away from this episode. And thank you for that and for your trust. And I'm wishing you a wonderful evening. <laughs> thank you for having me. It was fun. It was fun for me. I hope it was interesting uh, for anyone else. And But really, reach out to me anytime. I'm happy to meet all the new people. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.